We all have people whom we admire in life. There's no one I admire more than Michael Mark. I came to know him for very happy reasons. His son and daughter-in-law and granddaughters were members of my temple, and he was a very proud and happy grandfather at each of their bat mitzvahs. It doesn't get better than that to be the grandfather at your granddaughter's bat mitzvah. But along the way, I was to learn his life story. And believe me, there was a time when it was not at all obvious. In fact, it probably didn't even seem possible that he would one day be sitting here in this beautiful chapel, the proud grandfather patriarch of a beautiful family with a beautiful wife and children and grandchildren and enjoying life in his retirement years coming to address us. It's our privilege, truly, all of us, to hear his story. Well, he needs ours. We'll hear a portion of his story this morning, what he lived through to get here today. I'd like to introduce Michael Mark. Yeah, let me first thank you. Thank you, Rabbi, and thank you, Kea Lutheran. It's, I really appreciate it. Uh, I really appreciate it. And every one of you, every one of you who showed up, it's, it's just, that's the only reason I'm willing to tell my story, as long as people are interested, especially the young generation. I don't want they should forget it, these tragic times, which one I went through. Anyhow, I don't want to talk you know, too much because we don't have too much time. But let also, I just want to before, I want to be sure. I have my wife here today that always comes with me. We are married now 57 years. We celebrated this month. And our daughter and the husband, they have two wonderful, they have a daughter and a son. I, the oldest one is in is it U.S. Irvine now, then I son. He just happened to be an airline pilot, a captain, and his wife, and they have two beautiful girls. And I couldn't be the luckiest man in this world to come out from hell and start a new life and a wonderful, wonderful family. So I'm very, very thankful. Anyhow, so let me start out my sad story. I survived five concentration camps. Auschwitz, Erlenbusch, Buchenwald, Kravinkul, Flossenburg. And the worst part from all the camps was the death march. We were starving, there was no food whatsoever, and no strength, and pretty much we knew this is our end. We had only chance was to survive if we were liberated, and liberated on time, before we died or before we were killed. So like I said, it was a, I have to call it today a miracle, since I knew a day before that this is my end, and I was liberated next day by the American Army. So I'm very thankful, you know, especially to immigrate to this wonderful country. 
Anyhow, so let me just start that. I was born in Czechoslovakia, in a small town near the Hungarian border. So we were speaking Czech or Slovak, yes, Slovakia now, and also we were speaking Hungarian. So the time came, we had a, I had a younger brother and an older brother, but my mother had a very large extended family. Seven sisters and four brothers. And naturally later on they were married, you know, the, the sisters and we had a lot of cousins. So we had a happy life. It was nothing modern those days, you know, like we have today. But we were very happy anyhow. Especially, you could imagine, growing up next door to seven aunts and four uncles. I mean, like I said, we were really, really happy, you know. And my father also came for a very large family. And they lived in a different city, so sadly we didn't see each other so often, you know, like, like I said, for my mother's side. Anyhow, so it came a time that everything went fine, we had all the freedom those days, and came a time when Hitler came to power, and naturally, when he was strong enough, he was demanding part of Czechoslovakia. They called it Sudetenland. And sure enough, that time, England was pretty weak, and France and all that, so they gave it to him. And that's all he, he probably, that's all he wanted. The next thing was about a year later, like I said, you know, I remember like the Hungarian government saw how easy it was to get part of Czechoslovakia. They were demanding it. So this is the time when my hometown, we became Hungarian. We were occupied by the Hungarian army and we became now Hungarian. So while this was going on, it was very hard times because the Hungarians, those they start to copy what the Germans did, especially with the Jewish people, like mostly taking away businesses, things like that. It was so the hardship was, I can't even imagine for about five years going on like this without a livelihood and how to, I don't even know how they managed. Luckily, my father was very lucky. He was extremely well liked by everybody and his business wasn't taken away. So we were very lucky in that respect. Anyhow, so then, like I said, we were always hoping that maybe it will get better and so on. And then came a time, like most of you, you know that Germany attacked Poland and occupied Poland, and sure enough, the last of the Europe. And then came a time when they naturally attacked Russia, and this is the time that, uh, you know, most of the young Jewish men were, were taken by the Hungarian army to do the dirty work for them, including on the Russian front. And some of them uh, came home wounded or so. They told, told us all kinds of terrible stories, what they saw, that, that the Germans killing people, and you know, the, especially the Jewish people, and so on. And, and anyhow, so it didn't hit home so hard that time because it wasn't in our, in our backyard. But sure enough, we were always hoping that, you know, while this was going on, that maybe, maybe someday we're going to be liberated and America will come and help us and, and so on. So while this was going on, came a time, I still remember, it was in 1940, about in 1943, end of, end of 1943. In one way, luckily, the German army wasn't prepared for the cold winter in, in Russia. So 
they finally at the tide was turning and they kept chasing out the German army, including the naturally the Hungarian army was allies with the German army, you know, the Nazis and so on. So what happened? It came a time, uh, like I said, this was going on about five years by the time we were occupied from, I think, 1939 till 19, end of 1943, occupied by the, German, by the Hungarian. Now came a time, like I said, the German army was pushed out. This is, and, and sure enough, we heard all kinds of rumors what goes on in Poland and all over, you know, that killing the Jewish people and ghettos and concentration camps. But again, like I said, it didn't hit home because we were not, in, in, wasn't in my backyard. And luckily we were, in, we were not really harmed by the Hungarian otherwise, but all the other hardship. So it came a time that, uh, that finally, it looks like Hitler and the Nazis decided, let's occupy now Hungary and kill the remaining 800,000 Hungarian Jewish people. So sure enough, it came, it was March 19, I still remember, March 1944, they, they suddenly, uh, the German army who was chased out from Russia, occupied, including my hometown. And this is the time, it was unbelievable, scary, you know, that what's gonna, what they gonna do with us. And sure enough, in no time, we were, we were told to, to wear the yellow star as, you know, all the Jewish people. And uh, then, in, in no time, we didn't know that time, if you remember, by the name Eichmann, Hitler sent him over to Budapest, Hungary, to do, do the deportation. Naturally, we didn't know anything what happening. And came a time that we were told, get ready tomorrow morning and carry only what you could care from your home, some, some bedding, some bread or what, and report in the synagogue. And sure enough, on their punishment, next day, all of us left our home, everything, we left all the belongings there, reported, they counted us, the name and everything, everything reported. We were taken from there to a nearby city, and, and uh, we wind up with a regular train, wasn't that cattle cars yet, and they, they then from, we, we had to march, all of us, with, uh, with all your belongings, and to an open field. It used to be a, a, a they called it a brick factory, an open field, no facilities, anything. And every day they kept bringing from the nearby cities, nearby town, more and more of the Jewish people, constantly, every single one. Again, we were, we were, sitting, we were nothing else, sleeping and sitting on the dirt. That nothing was, nothing else. And it was all the rumors were flying, what they, what they might do with us. And sure enough, the rumors, they're gonna, maybe we go to work on the farms, and then maybe they're gonna take us to somewhere and kill us. And sure enough, we stayed there about, I don't know, four or five weeks. Excuse me. And the only time, any, the, then, we stayed several weeks there, and like I said, it was, the condition was getting worse and worse. And one day we were told to get up and go. Thousands and thousands of us, I never forget that sight, never, never, never. That, you know, you try to help the young, 
babies and children, old people, marching and marching several miles. We wind up back to the railroad station. We arrive there, we see all the cattle cars, long, far as you could see the cattle cars waiting for us. And they kept loading and loading and loading the cattle cars day, all day long. And you tried very hard to keep together with your family, much as possible. And like we were like top of each other. And finally, late at night, they closed the doors and made sure no water and no food, nothing. And the condition, the heat, and the only air that we were getting was made for the cow up on top of the little hole there to breathe. I can imagine, I mean, the suffering. And they closed the doors and they started to heading. We didn't know where we were going. And babies crying for food, water, and nobody cared. And what we know today, the Nazis, Hitler, they, want, it was, they were glad that more you died in the cattle cars, they had more room in the gas chambers, what we know today. Anyhow, so we, 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 day and night we're going and going and going, and three days, three nights later, we arrive to a place, the doors are open, and we hear yelling, yelling to the, in German, arose, arose, gerade, gerade, schnell, schnell, hurry, hurry, and beating us and leave everything, and we're lined up for a selection. Again, we didn't know where we are, we didn't know what's happening. And we saw this German officer, more likely today, it was naturally Mengele those days, and showing with a heavy stick, left or right, and you have to obey immediately what they told you, otherwise they even beat you to death right there if you didn't do what they wanted. And, and naturally, the mothers, the young mothers, tried to hold on to their children. So if they didn't need, we didn't know again what happening. Those days, if, the, if you were, uh, they needed slaves, and, uh, but even a young mother holding on to the babies, so instead of disturbing, they shouldn't make too much noise, so they let them go, selected to die in the gas chamber, the young mothers with their children holding on to them. I was selected, I was the right age, luckily, with my father, with my older brother, selected to be a slave. And I was one of the lucky ones. That's the only chance you had to survive if you were selected a slave, no other chance. The chances were very slim, but no other chance. Anyhow, so we were herded into a big, big, uh, some kind of open, space, their room, like a warehouse, we were told to undress. We were all separated naturally from women, from the woman, and that's the last time I saw all the family when we were separated. Anyhow, we were told to undress, they shaved us, some kind of shower, and by the time we came out, all your clothes were gone except your shoes, and and if you wore glasses, then they left it there. We got our new uniform, this striped uniform, with a round cap. So that was our new outfit there. Then, again, we still didn't know where we are. Finally, we were taken to a, to a barracks, and the only thing we wanted to find out, what's happening, where are we? What is, what is this, this smelling flesh burning all day long? The, or, and, and uh, we see that smoke coming out from the chimneys. What goes on? 
So people who were in the barracks way before us, they told us, you were the lucky ones because you were selected to be a slave. All the rest, all your family, was taken to the gas chamber, and now they're burning their bodies. Talk about gas chamber, what we know today, they packed them so tight that to save all the, every inch. And 20 minutes later, when they were dead, they opened the doors to drag them out, to burn their bodies, they were standing up. It was no room to fall down. And their children by their feet. It's not real to me up today as civilized people. How can they do that? Can, can understand to this day, I never in long as I live. We stayed only uh, not too long in, in Auschwitz. They told us we are in Auschwitz. They took us to another camp that was a new place. The only place we had some, uh, naturally, all. Uh, it, was a, it wasn't a very big uh, uh, concentration camp. It was a new, and naturally with a barbed wire and the guards high up there, and, and um, we had some tents. That was our new home. On the, on the dirt, except we had, they gave us straw under that and a, and a blanket. So this, this was our new home, and finally, we were only thinking about that anything, anything to get something to eat or something. So our daily, typical daily meal was a slice, I mean, gave you a slice of bread and black coffee, and noontime some, uh, some empty soup, you know, we were always lucky to, and hoping to find some potatoes in it or so, and, and the evening also. They had to give us something because they needed our slave labor. So our new job was there to build a small railroad, not a regular railroad, a small one. And the whole purpose was that time to lead into the mountains and take out stones from the mountains to build some kind of factory. That's the way I remember. So we stayed there in that place about six months, and then we could hear far away some heavy artillery fires. So one day we, we, we ev evacuated the whole place and they took us from there to Buchenwald. That's one of the terrible camps too. We stayed there, I, you know, maybe a month or so. Then we were taken again to another place. They called it Kravinkul. And our new job was there to take out stones from the mountains. Again, that was the terrible, terrible, and less and less food naturally. And sure enough, since it looks like that, and coming the end of the war closer or what, we didn't know what's happening. So we were taken to a terrible, terrible camp. They call it Flossenburg. It was unbelievable, cold, miserable, cold. People were dying everywhere. It was impossible, hardly any food. So many people died, they didn't know what to do with the, with the dead bodies. So we had to drag them out and pile them up on the latrines. The next thing was, from all the things, but the worst part was now coming the death march. It was one of the worst things in my life when anybody could imagine. Like I said before, it was no way to survive anymore. From, you, you were, we were skeletons, and we were exhausted, and it was impossible to survive, unless you were liberated. And this is the time 
finally one day they locked us up in the pond and uh, next morning they chased us out again the, the German soldiers they took us to a nearby forest they were thinking to kill us or not they were talking we didn't know we didn't care anymore anyhow what they do with us and they we saw in front of our eyes they changed their uniform to civilian clothes and run away and uh, as soon they ran away. We had hardly any strength to get up, and the only thing we wanted to food, anything, anything we could find. And uh, so we kept, got together with different nationalities and walking and wind up in a, in a farmhouse and begging for food. So we were lucky to get anything, anything just to eat. And then we asked, we heard some heavy heavy trucks coming nearby road and and we went down we were still together you know and uh, went down to the uh, to the road and we see some tanks and and, and and trucks coming and sure enough we see the American soldiers so when they saw us how, how we looked like with, with our you know like I said we were skeletons and so so they tried to throw up some throw food, and they, somebody finally told us that a nearby village they set up a, like a hospital type, you know, in a school to help us. So how or what slowly we walked and walked, we wind up there. There the American soldiers and doctors even, and tried to help as much as possible. We were completely lice infected. They made the German civilians to clean us and wash our bodies and gave us food and then they asked us where are you coming from so by that time by that time i forgot to mention by that time on the death march my father just collapsed and he had no choice just to keep walking otherwise you got killed so i stayed with my brother and luckily we were together and wind up, they asked us where you come from. We told them Czechoslovakia. They told us we are not too far away. So when you get, you feel, feel stronger, we take you back. So several weeks later, we feel strong enough. They took us back to Czechoslovakia. There, they help us again much as possible, the doctors in a nearby city. And the only thing we wanted to just to go back home as soon as possible because that's what we wanted with my brother. So we started out one day, finally heading home. And normally it took one day with a train. This time it took us about a month to get home because everything was bombed out and so on. So it just took us forever. And everywhere we were begging for food and luckily we got some. And we managed, we came home. As soon arrived, we knew everybody in our hometown and, and we met the first person we wanted to know who survived from my family. So the, their answer was nobody, nobody. So like I mentioned today, it, luckily the four brothers, they were young one, like 30, 35. One was married already and luckily able to immigrate to this country before and the other three ran away. And one of them wind up you know, in the, in the Czech army, came back with the allies and fighting all the way. And so luckily all the rest, all the rest were gone, died, killed, and you know.
Anyhow, so in my hometown, we wanted to see our home. You know, sure enough, we walked there. It was all emptied out. And suddenly, it was a miracle. What happened? Our neighbor saw us with my brother, and he says, <laughs> he says, I got, a, I got a, letter, a letter from your mother from Sweden. We didn't know what he's talking about. And he goes inside and brings out a letter. And my mother, they were wonderful Christian neighbors. And in the letter, my mother writes, I'm here. the British, I survived. My Brit the British took me to Sweden to recover. I'm in the hospital. I'm, I was very sick, but I feel a little bit better, but I'm still very weak. And it was a miracle. So, and this is, this is the letter what my ma mother wrote. It's a one-page letter. And, and this is the envelope from Sweden. And she wasn't sure if it's back Czechoslovakia or Hungary, so she wrote that in, in Czech and in Hungarian. The original I donated to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., because they want anything possible related to them. So I don't have to tell you, I was, we were so happy, and I borrowed, I remember, I didn't have anything, pencil and paper, and wrote, wrote her, waited for an answer, sadly didn't get any, then I wrote again, again, no answer. So months and months later, we finally, one of my uncle turned up from, with a Czech army who survived. He's the only one who came home, my mother's brother, and he lived in Prague. So he took with him the letter even and went to the Swedish consul to find out about my mother and his sister. And sadly, the sad news was she was alive about five months. And with all the help, she did not, couldn't survive. She died. It happened on 9-11-1945. And she is one of the lucky ones because she has a graveside. I was there three times to visit. Anyhow, I don't have to tell you, I was devastated. Both of us. And one day, luckily, we got a letter from my father had a brother in Chicago. We got a letter from him asking about his brother, so we had to also write him the sad news that your brother didn't survive. And we asked him to help us to immigrate to this country. He sent us immediately the papers, and we went to the American consulate and awaited three years to get out, and I was Luckily, came a time after three years waiting that I got a notice I could immigrate to this country. So I took my suitcase, they let me out with $10, and took the train to Vienna, and Vienna to Genova, Italy, and like I said, took the sh ship to New York, and I was contacted with the with a cousin who never met him before. He lived in New York. He came to pick me up at the port and took me home. 
I stayed there, stayed there with them about a week. By that time, while I was waiting to come to this country, my uncle and aunt, they, they, they came to California for some vacation and they liked it better, so they moved to Los Angeles. So technically, I, so that means the reason I was heading to Los Angeles. So he put me on the train, I didn't speak the language, he gave me a piece of paper, what to ask for on the train, some food, and he gave me, I remember, some $15. So I was wonderful. Took the train, three days later arrived in, uh, here in Los Angeles, Union Station. My aunt and uncle picked me up, took me home, and I just wanted, the only thing I wanted to start a new life. And luckily, I got a job, what I wanted badly. I still remember a dollar an hour. I was thrilled. To me, it was a lot of money. And um, everything went fine. My aunt and uncle told me I could stay with them, which what I did, and I went to evening school to learn the language. Then. Since I was a new immigrant, immigrant I uh, had to register to the draft, which one I did. And um, next thing was I was called for a physical a couple months later. Then 1951, January, I called in to serve. So uh, I, uh, I had to go, went to Fort Dort, up Monterey, finished basic training, I was, I was sent to San Antonio, Texas, trained as a medic. And um, the next thing was from there, I got 10 days furlough, they told me, and report back after 10 days Fort Hood, Texas, which one I did. And I see when I arrived there on the base, there are thousands of soldiers packing their duffel bags, and I was very anxious to find out where we're going. And I asked the soldier, where are we going? He says, don't you know? I said, no, I just got here. Tomorrow morning, we're going to Germany. In, anyhow, so next day, they took us to the ship. Two days later, we arrived in Bremenhaven, and then I was stationed most of the time in Mannheim and, and Heidelberg. Seemed like the main reason they sent me there, because all the other ones pretty much were sent to Korea, all my bodies. And the next thing was, I spoke that time several languages, like Hungarian, Slovak, anyhow. So they sent me there, I became an interpreting. And, and the first thing, first chance I have, I wanted to visit my mother's grave in Sweden, which one contacted the Red Cross. Sure enough, when the time came, got my 10 days furlough, I went to visit my mother's grave. It's a beautiful city, about two hours train ride from Stockholm, and they call it Nürschköping. It's a big, beautiful Christian cemetery, and, and it has a section set aside for the Jewish uh, people. Anyhow, so I finished my two years in the army, came back, started business with my brother next day, in the, and then I met my wife about six months later, came on vacation to, with two girls to California, and then we were corresponding. She went back to New York. I went back to see her. We got engaged six months later, and then she planned the wedding about three months later. And we got married and came back and started really a new life in California. And like I said, I'm a very lucky man. I have a wonderful family. They are all sitting there. And what should I say? I have to say, again, 
that I came to this wonderful country penniless, didn't speak the language, worked hard, achieved even an American dream. So I have to say, God bless America. <laughs> so much. Just wonderful, wonderful to see this. Really thank you. I want to thank Michael Mark so very much for sharing with us his life story. I'm being honest when I tell you he has hours more to tell us and I wish we had the time. I know there's class for the students coming quickly and otherwise we'd have questions and answers etc. Maybe there'll be another opportunity. He has much more to tell us, but we're going to conclude the service. Uh, I first would like to call upon Megan Everett, who's going to read some words from Anne Frank. Anne Frank was a young girl in Amsterdam, Holland, during the terrible days of Nazi Germany. Two weeks before she died, one of the six million Jews who perished in the Holocaust, she wrote the following words in her diary. It's really a wonder that I haven't dropped all my ideals because they seem so absurd and so impossible to carry out. Yet I keep them because in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. I simply can't build my hopes on a foundation of confusion, misery, and death. I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness. I hear the approaching thunder. I can feel the suffering of millions. And yet, if I look up into the heavens, I think that it will all come out right one of these days, that this cruelty will end, and that peace and tranquility will return again. In the meantime, I must hold on to my ideals, for perhaps the day will come when I shall be able to carry them out. Beautiful words. Please rise for a memorial prayer. Exalted, compassionate God, grant perfect peace in your sheltering presence among the holy and the pure through the souls of all of our brothers and sisters, men, women, and children of the house of Israel and of the world who were slaughtered and burned. May their memory endure, inspiring truth and loyalty in our lives. May their souls thus be bound up in the bond of life. May they rest in peace. Let us say amen. The Kaddish is a Jewish memorial prayer that's recited in memory of those who are deceased, but an affirmation of the goodness of life. Yitgadal v'yitkadash shemerabah v'yomadi v'rach hirutei v'yamlich machutei b'chayichon v'yomichon v'chayedachol b'yit Yisrael v'agalav izman kariv v'imru amen yeheish merabah mavarach li'alam alamei omaya yitbarach v'yishtabach v'yitpa'ar v'yitromam v'yitnaseh v'yitadar v'yitalev v'yitalal shemedekudishah b'richu 
May the one who makes peace in the high heavens grant peace unto us and unto all mourners, to Israel and to all of humankind, and let us say, Amen.